One day last week, uh, Jenny and I were uh, downtown at a meeting, and we left the uh, meeting down there, the event, and I thought it would be nice to stop for ice cream. Now, you need to understand, in my opinion, it's always nice to stop for ice cream. It's always a good time to stop for ice cream. I didn't need to have uh, any special reason, reason other than the fact that, well, we were in the car, you know, and so we could, uh, you know, we, we, we could certainly do that. Uh, so we were, it, we stopped at a, at a uh, stoplight downtown, getting ready to point the car uh, toward Culver's. And I thought, well, you know, let's see if they're open. So I, you know, pull out my phone and uh, ask Google. I said, what are the hours for Culver's? You know, because I wanted to make sure I got there in time. And um, they closed at 10. And I, and I looked, and it was 10.01. It was a bummer. I mean, it was, you know, it, it, it was, you know, they close at, at 10. And um, as we all know, when something is not open, when something's uh, closed, you know, it's shut down. And they're not going to let anyone in at that time, which was uh, quite disappointing to me. And I was thinking about that as I was working on the sermon, because uh, as people, we are, we're open sometimes as people, and sometimes we are closed as people. There are some people that you're very open to, and really it doesn't much matter, you know, when they call. Um, you you kind of, you'll answer the phone, you like to spend time with them, you know, you like to be there with them. Uh, they can come over to your house, you do life together, and it's just, it's just kind of a, kind of a nice thing. There's activities that cause you to be open. Uh, Peter and, and Andrew Klein and I used to go down to, uh, the uh, abortion clinic when it was operating in Fort Wayne downtown, and we used to go down there on, Thursday mornings before they would uh, go to school. And we would go down there, the three of us would go down there and spend some time praying, uh, you know, before that. There's things that, you know, we're open to and things... Well, there's times that, you know, we um, are open and times we just really like to close ourselves up. We don't want anyone to talk to us. We'd rather not... See any people? I'm not talking about, you know, some of us are introverts and some of us are extroverts and that's fine. But even you introverts, there's some people you like to be with. Otherwise, well, A, you wouldn't be here now or B, you know, you'd never be married or anything like that. And, you know, but it happens. Well, today I want us to think about what you're open to and what you're closed to. You know, what is it that, that's there uh, that when you're open and when you're closed? This is simply another area where God shined a light on for me and challenged me to evaluate when I am open and when I am closed. Let's pray and we'll think about this a little bit together. Father, sometimes we know we've closed ourselves off. And sometimes we don't realize it. I know sometimes we just get so used to being in a mode and in, and in a certain way, and, and, and that's where I stay and I travel and how I respond to some things. But I thank you for challenging me to see if this is how you would want me to respond, how you would want me to be, what it is that you have uh, laid before me. Now, all of us here have those times, Father, and we have those opportunities which come along, and what we want to do, we would say we're open to you. 
help us to see and help us to be, be certain that we don't close ourselves off particularly to you and the way you're working. So guide our thoughts as we look into your word. I thank you for it. I thank you for the way it opens up our life. Uh, may, that be, may that be true today, we, too, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so turn there, if you will, Luke chapter 10, page 955 in the Pew Bible. When you get to Luke 10, drop down to um, verse 25. And the first part of this chapter, uh, it's, it's, it tells us uh, about one of the times Jesus sent his followers out in pairs in the beginning of this chapter. This time it was 35 pairs. He sent out 70 of his followers there. They were to make minimal preparations, he told them. They were rather to depend on God, opening up places for them to stay and providing for them as they traveled along. Uh, they were told that as they ministered to people, they were tell them about the, uh, the kingdom of God coming. And the people, would they would understand that connection to the Messiah. When they told them about the kingdom of God, they would make a, they would make a connection there to the Messiah. This wasn't something that was mysterious to them. It was very clear to them. Uh, so Jesus told them, though, that if they were rejected, if the town rejected them, it says they're even to wipe the dust off of their feet as a testimony against them, a testimony that they rejected God, that they had this opportunity, and yet they... They turned and, and walked away from it and rejected the Lord. Well, then we're told the 70 returned. They were pretty pumped about their time of ministering. Uh, Jesus took time to rejoice, took time to praise the Father for the ministry that was done through them. And apparently, while Jesus was still sharing with his followers, someone comes along with a question for Jesus. And it brings us down to verse 25. Follow along. It says, Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. What's written in the law, he asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When they saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw that man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put on him his own, he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Familiar passage to us again for many of us, the story of the Good Samaritan. And it was, you know, it's so popular that they name helicopters and things after, you know, after this incident. And, um, you know, it, sometimes then when it becomes so widely known, we kind of miss the whole gist of, of what, what really goes on in the story. 
Now, it seems shortly after Jesus was getting his followers to see what God had been doing through them, uh, he gets challenged by one of the Jewish leadership. Notice he's referred to as an expert in the law. That would be the Jewish law. Uh, you know, he, he stood up to test Jesus with a question. But it, this was a question that was commonly discussed in Jesus' day. Uh, you know, it's getting eternal life. How do you get eternal life? This was a, a question that would be a would be common thing for discussion uh, when they met on the street corner. You know, if there were reruns of Barney Miller on and they didn't want to see it once again, they would go outside and have these discussions. You see, and so they're having this discussion uh, about e- eternal life. Now, it's only bad. This question really is only bad if his intent is to discredit Jesus. If his intent is to discredit Jesus, if his, you know, if, that, if that's where it's going, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be a good thing. But if he was simply trying to find out how to receive eternal life, then really it's a good question. Because, you know, there are good questions that can draw us deeper into a walk with, into a walk with God. And God never minds honest questions. You need to understand that. He doesn't mind honest questions. Think for a moment at uh, the, the, um, the incident, the events leading up to the birth of Christ. And we're told that when John the Baptist was, was, um, going to, when, when he was being announced, you know, he goes to his father and, uh, you know, and, and Zechariah said, how can, how can this happen? And he says, and he was, he was unable to speak then because of his disbelief. You see, he was not asking, he was not asking an honest question. He was asking a question that was kind of said, <laughs> you're nuts. This just can't happen, you know. But then we have the announcement to Mary and Mary says, how can this be? You know, I'm a virgin. And this was an honest question. She was accepting what God had to say, uh, you know, but saying, I, I just, I don't understand. See, God never minds honest questions. Now, when I, when I was looking at this, the uses of this, of this word, this, in, in other places, where it says that he was testing, uh, at Jesus, you know, it's, it's it, in the other places, it's testing in a way where we might say, well, prove it. You know, with a bit of a bit of doubt in what we say. Well, prove it then. You know, and it was it was kind of worded that way in other places. I assume it would be the same way here. He tips his hand a little bit more as you go along, though. But here, notice Jesus calls on this expert of the law to search what he already knew. How does it, how does the law read? He says, you know, you're this expert in the law. How does the law read? We all know more than we currently live out. You know, we all we all have uh, have a, a lot of knowledge in our head and and good knowledge even and biblical knowledge that we're not even living out yet. Now, I don't say that to discourage you. I'm just saying that you know, I'm, I'm just stating a fact here for you. You know, to, to for one thing, it, it helps us. You know, it helps us to I, I would hope to motivate us to you know to do more. Sometimes we say God isn't speaking. God has spoken already, and you're not doing some of the things He's already told you about. You know, start. You know, maybe He's waiting for you to kind of catch on to what what He's already laid out there for you. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but that's certainly a possibility. But, you know, and again, it's not to discourage you, simply to remind you. Now, notice the guy here gives a good answer. His answer is part of the of the Shema Yisrael, something that all of the Jews would know. Uh, th- they would know this answer. Now, in most of your Bibles, and if you have the Holman Christian Standard, I know there is a footnote. And, uh, you know, if you look at the footnote there, it mentions that it comes from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. 
That's part of the Shema Yisrael, that, the, that they would know. You know, it starts with, you know, the Lord your God is one. It starts with that and it goes on and, and this was part of it. You'll recall also perhaps that this was the answer that Jesus gave when he was asked, what's the most important thing? What, you know, he was asked by another Jewish leader at another time, what's the, if you had to boil it down to one thing, Jesus, you know, what's that? What is it? What is the most important thing? Just give me one thing to focus on. Uh, that too was a question to try to trap Jesus, we're told, but Again, it could be a very legitimate question. Well, when Jesus was asked what was the most important thing to grasp from all of the land, uh, for, excuse me, from all of the scriptures, what's the one thing to grasp from the law, from the scriptures? What is that one thing? <coughs> Don't hurry by that answer. Look at it. Verse 27 it says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now notice what he's talking about there. This answer describes a life-changing, a life-directing relationship with God. This is what his answer is. This is, this is a life changed by a relationship with God. That you love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's a life-changing relationship with God. If you truly have eternal life, it's not stored away somewhere until you enter the next phase of life. It's not stored away. If you truly have a relationship with God, it is out there. If you truly have that relationship with Jesus, you have eternal life now. And that should be living your life as directed by God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That there's, there's none of, you see, we already know more than we're living out. Now certainly you want to keep growing, but you also want to keep going and you want to keep doing because of that relationship with God. Jesus told him that he was right. And notice what he says, do this. And it's worded, and keep on doing this. In other words, live this way is what he's saying. You've answered correctly. Do this. You know, keep living this way. Keep doing it. It's not a Christianity is not a one and done thing. You know, did that? Now I'm on my way. That's what the the guy we refer to as a rich young ruler seemed to be looking for. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Jesus said, you know, you, you know the law, you know what it is. And he says, I've, I've done these things. I've done all of these things. See, he was looking for just this one more thing that he could do and go on his merry way. And when Jesus challenged him, well, it kind of shook him. Why? Because he wasn't looking to live a life. What he was looking to do was check off boxes. What he was looking to do was have this list of things. Did it, did it, did it, done that's, that's not a relationship with God. Do this and continue doing this. Live this way, he says. Well, what was it that he was saying? Really, look at the simple thing. The, the, God needed to be first in his living. 
That's what he's saying. It's not a task to earn eternal life. This is evidence that your life has been changed. It's evidence that you have a relationship with God. It's not doing this so that you can earn something from God. It's simply showing that you already have a relationship with God, and it's that working out of the relationship. What he's telling him, what he's telling us, is you put God first in your living. First. Not second, not somewhere in line. First in your living. Open your living to God. Don't go through, don't go through your day closed to God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all, with everything you are. Love God with everything you are. Not just one day a week. With your living, put God first in your everyday living is what he's talking about, what he's challenging this man and us with as well. Now, again, I think the man's tipping his hand toward insincerity when he asks you know, a question, not really looking for information. But we're told in verse 29, he was really just looking to face, save face with the people. Notice what he says there. It says, but wanting to justify himself. Wanting to, wanting to, wanting to, wanting other people to think that he was okay. Wanting others not to think less of him. After all, he was an official with this, with the, the synagogue. Wanting people not to think less of him. Looking to justify. Never lessen God in order to save face with other people. Never lessen God. Never lessen your relationship with God in order to save face with other people. We trade off saving face. We trade off not wanting to be embarrassed. And we sacrifice our relationship with God. We take a step back. We try to hold God at arm's length. We say, I, 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 know, what I, I know what I should be doing. I know what I should say, Lord. And, you know, I just can't because what will they think of me? And we begin to be more worried about what they think of me rather than our relationship with God. Never a good trade. There is no situation, there is no scenario where that is a good trade-off. The the opinion of, of anybody over the reality of my relationship with God. The relationship with God should come first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all you have, with everything you are. Put that, have God be first in everything you're doing and, and, and everything. Have Him first in all of your living. But wanting to justify Himself, He says, and who is my neighbor? This man very well may have been looking for an excuse to give less of Himself to God. Less than all his heart. Less than all his soul. Less than all his mind. Less than all his strength. Don't look for an excuse to give God less. Don't look for an excuse to hold back from God. Don't look for an excuse to do your own thing. Don't look for an excuse to be, to, to, to be less with God. From the incident here that Jesus gives, it seems to me that's what this guy was doing. This guy was just trying to give less of himself to God. If you're going to step into the light, then don't look for excuses to avoid following God. 
Open your life to God. Don't look for excuses to avoid following him. But you know what they said to me? But do you know what they did to me? But And we come up with all of these things. And what we're doing is we're trying to justify ourselves for turning away from what God says. And we're trying to justify ourselves to try to excuse the behavior, but you don't understand. You know what, though? God does understand. And that should be frightening for some of you. He does understand what you're doing. He understands that you're turning your back on him. And he understands that what you're doing is is you're putting your own your own standing or your own feelings ahead of your relationship to him he does understand what you're doing and what you're doing is you're holding back and you're giving him less than all your heart less than all your soul less than all your mind and less than all your strength don't look for excuses to avoid following god open your life to god when you're looking for when you're looking for those excuses what you're doing is you're closing part of your life to god don't do that don't close that off. Open your life to God. You, you won't be sorry. Oh, yes, I will. No, you might be embarrassed. You know, you, 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 you might have to admit, you know, some crazy thing you did. You might. Let me remind you again. I have never regretted following God. Never. I have never regretted obeying his word. Never. Some of it's been hard. Some of it's been embarrassing. Some of it's been, well, I was going to say humiliating. Maybe that is the word. But it's always been good. It's always been the right thing to do. Don't look for excuses to avoid following God. Open your life to him. Now, Jesus uses this man's question and the man's attempt to sidestep Jesus, and Jesus tells a story. Now, it's from this incident, from you know the, 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 the Good Samaritan incident here, that really God uh, was shining a light into my life and you know challenging me again. Now, we sometimes refer to this as a parable. I was looking and I looked back and there's 12 other places in Luke where we're told that Jesus told a parable. So Luke used that phrase. You know, he used that phrase about, and Jesus told a parable. Here it's not mentioned that this is a parable. Now all I'm doing right there is pointing that out to you. Now be careful here because some feel it's possible that Jesus was using an actual event that happened to reveal God's heart to them. Was he? Well, it's quite possible. It's quite possible that, you know, he was using an actual event like, you know, sometimes we will, you can use an actual event from the news that everybody knows about to try to illustrate a point. And it could be that that's what was happening. But even if it wasn't, one thing that was very clear to them was the facts of what he's talking about, about somebody traveling that road from Jerusalem to Jericho and how dangerous that road was. That was reality to them. That they didn't, they, they didn't have to kind of try to guess. They knew what it was. All of them probably knew someone 
who was, or maybe even was a victim themselves of what went on, of, of being mugged as this guy was, of being, being robbed and beaten on the way on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was not something that was strange to them. This was a reality to them. You know, even if this was a, even if this was a parable, this was a reality to them. They knew, you know, they, they knew what, what this was like. You know, they, they knew what would happen there. Uh, you know, they, they would know that. It was a dangerous road even in the daylight. You know, even in the daylight, it was, it dropped, I, I believe it was like 3,200 feet is how, how much this dropped. You know, and, and it was wind, and parts of it winding through the, 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 the rocks and almost like what we would refer to as switchbacks. And, you know, it would go down and there was a lot of places for, uh, robbers to hide. There was a lot of places and, and they took advantage of it. And they took advantage of the people, you know, that, that traveled there. Jesus tells of a man who was not only robbed, but notice it says he was beaten. And he was so beaten so severely that he was just left in a heap on the side of the road. He couldn't even get himself to safety. He could not help himself to safety. Three men come along and we learn about being open to God. First, it says, was a priest. A priest, one selected to serve the Jewish people at the temple. You assume he would be open to God. But he sees this man and he purposely avoids him. Now, if he was traveling to Jerusalem, you know, then he may have been thinking, I, I can't become unclean by helping this man. For the priest to go to Jerusalem, you know, there, there could be only one time in their life they were, where they were selected to serve, you know, in some of these areas in the temple. And this could be this one and only time and he didn't want to miss it. You know, and it could very well be, you know, that, that if he was traveling to Jerusalem, you know, he, he didn't he didn't want to become unclean. So he chose to make sure that he stayed ritually clean and went out of his way to avoid the man. Or, you know, maybe he was traveling home after he was serving at the temple. And said, I just want to get home. I just want to get home. I, you know, I've been gone. I, home's where I want to be. And I, I don't want to, I got, you know, I got things to do. I got places to go, people to meet. I got, you know, fields to plow. Uh, I cannot come. That's a different sermon. Anyway, uh, you know, he, so he, he, he just leaves, the point is, he just leaves this man lying there and he goes on. Now another Jewish official, we're told a Levite came along and surely this guy would be open to God. I mean, they, they, they need, this is part of his calling. And he chose to say, you know, I really can't take a chance on helping this man. And so he doesn't help him either. I don't know, maybe he was putting his safety first. This was a road, a place where they knew that robbers would be. Maybe robbers were using this guy. And, and as if they went to, he went to help him, uh, you know, maybe they were waiting to ambush the next person who came along. If one guy was hurt there, why wouldn't another guy get hurt there? You know, and so he, he avoids it too. And we're not told specifically, we're not told specifically why these men were not open to helping this wounded man. But what we are told is both of these men saw a man needing help, but they were not open to deal with it. They were not open to loving their neighbor. Part of what was clear to them 
and the Shema Yisrael, that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, mind, and all their being, that they were to love God and their neighbor as herself, and they were not open to dealing with it. Whatever their excuses were, whatever they were, you know, you see, so far, neither one is open to the man in need. And I would say that neither one is open to God. So that brings us to the third man. The third man is the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan would not be the person that they would expect to show up next in this incident. Again, if he was telling a, a true story, a real story, they may have known that. But if he was telling them something they didn't hear, uh, the Samaritan would not be the next person that they would expect Jesus to bring up. Perhaps an Israelite, but not a Samaritan, you see, because the Samaritans, the Jews despised the Samaritans. And despised is not too strong a word. It might be too weak of a word. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as traitors to Israel. They saw them as defiled lawbreakers. Because, you see, they intermarried with, they intermarried with, with those who didn't know God and didn't follow God. They came up with their, they were, they were so despised and, and rejected because of that, then they set up their own other religious system, if you will. If you recall, Jesus in John chapter 4 uh, gets together with the Samaritan woman. And she and and Jesus are comparing, you know, and she says, you say in Jerusalem, you know, and we say on this mountain, you say on that mountain. Uh, and, and they had this debate going there, um, you know, and there's there's a huge chasm between these two groups of people. But there's an immediate difference here. The Samaritan's outlook was for the good of his neighbor. The Samaritan's outlook was for the good of the other man. The good of the other man took priority over his own, his own plans. It took over as a priority in his thinking and in his actions. The Samaritan was open to this man and his actions said, I cannot leave him like that. I can't leave this guy like that. So he puts himself out. He puts his own schedule aside. He puts his own... You didn't travel this road just for sightseeing. You know, you, you might you might go around other places for sightseeing. Uh, one one year, Ginny and I drove the Blue Ridge Parkway from the northern terminus to the southern terminus, and we we did that just to kind of see it. You know, and just uh, we had driven part of it before, and we thought just pretty cool road, and so we wanted to do the whole thing. We did that one year. They wouldn't travel this road just to see things. You know, they wouldn't do that. This guy was there for a reason. He was there for a purpose. He was there because this was the only way to go, not the safest way. This was the way that, you know, he had to go. So he puts himself out. He puts his own schedule and plans aside, even though he wasn't able to bring this man totally back to health. Did you get that? He wasn't able to totally solve this man's problem. He wasn't totally able to bring this guy, you know, back to where he was before. He knew, you know, he was just a part in the process and he could not ignore that part in the process. He did what he could to help. The Samaritan, notice, he never questions this man about how he ended up on this condition on the side of the road. What were you doing here? What were you thinking? Why in the world would you go this way? Why would you travel this alone? Why would you? He, never, he never gets into that. There's no conditions to his aid. He doesn't say, I'm only going to help you, you know, if you promise never to do this again. I'm only going to... There's no conditions to his aid. He's willing to address the pain that this man has and that this man is in. Rather than look away from it, he addresses the struggle. 
He took the time from his own schedule, from his own plans, and he was open to help this man. He enlists the help of others. It says he takes him, he loads the man on his own donkey, which means then he's walking, and he got this man to a place where he could be helped. Now, he intended to follow up on the man, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes we help people and we never see him again. Uh, sometimes by default is just the way we can, and sometimes by intention, you know, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid them. But this guy, he gives him what help he can and gets him to a place where he can get more help. Gets him to that place where he can get somebody that can really literally help him get back on his feet. He enlists the help of others. He intends to follow up. He intends to do what he can to help. He may never see this guy again. He comes back to, you know, maybe take care of the bill, but he may never see this guy again. As Jesus finishes telling about the event, notice what he does. He makes sure, he makes sure that the expert in the law gets the point. He says, which person showed they loved God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength which which man shows that they love the neighbor their neighbor as themselves look at verse 37 the expert in the law he couldn't even bring himself to say the samaritan couldn't even bring himself to say that where he said well the one who showed mercy to him look at jesus answer says then jesus told the man same thing he told them after their initial discussion, go and do the same. This is the same thing he told him earlier before they ever got into this incident about that we refer to as the Good Samaritan. Before he even got to there, Jesus had told him, go and do likewise. Here he says, go and do the same. And guess what? It's worded the same way. Go, do, and keep on doing. Do this because you're open to God, because you are wholly devoted with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, because you're loving your neighbor as yourself, because you have this relationship with God and your life has been changed. Begin to live this relationship with God, he says. Do it and keep on doing it. Make this your lifestyle. Make this your way of life. Make this your way of living every day, even when it might be inconvenient our faith needs to work out to be shown that it's real not because we're not because we're earning something because we're showing that it's there here's what god shined his light on for me as i read through this passage we're going to move through these quickly one is i need to have an open head to accept what god brings my way and it's what god brings my way You see, we're so often absorbed in our own agenda, our own day, our own problems, our own feelings, that when God brings something our way, we're not open to what God brings our way. Why? Because we're so wrapped up and we're so caught up in in what we have that that there's there's this we we're closing our life off to everything else, including God. He often works in ways we aren't expecting. And sometimes in ways that we close our life to. Open your head to accept what God brings into your life. So if my head is truly open to God, I still need an open heart for God to touch through others, 
Notice, I didn't say for God to touch others through. I need to have my heart open so God can touch my heart through other people. It was the Samaritan who needed help who touched the... Excuse me. It was the man who was beat up and needed help who touched the heart of the Samaritan. We look at it as, you know, all, all that the Samaritan did for this guy. And, and certainly there's truth. But there's only the only way he ever did anything for this guy was because the, the problem that this guy faced touched the heart of the Samaritan. The other two, the other two guys saw the same thing. Their heart wasn't touched. It was closed. The Samaritan's heart was open to God touching him through what this man was going through and through what this man was experiencing. If you look at things like this as a chore or worse, then your heart's probably not open to God. If what you see is you look at these things, you know, if you don't learn something about God from helping other people, then open your heart to God. Open that heart. He uses all sorts of people to teach us and to help us grow in Him. He uses all sorts of people. Jesus calls us to respond to those in need. He uses it. Let God touch your heart through other people. So if you have an open head toward God and you have an open heart toward God, then you will have an open hand for God to use. If your head's open to God and your heart's open to God, then your hand will be open to God as well. God chooses to work through his people. Through those in a relationship with him. Scripture tells us this is how God chooses to work. We get the honor, we get the privilege of helping others see that there is a God. We get the privilege, we get the honor of helping others to see that God loves them. God very often does that through us, the ones already touched by his love. Don't look at these opportunities as something you have to do. Look at them as something that you get to do. To show others the love that God has placed in your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Don't be closed. Don't have any parts of that. Don't have any part of your heart, your soul, your strength, or your mind closed to God. Be open. To God. Let's pray.